Now entering Nerdist.com. Hello and welcome to episode 112 of the Competitive Erotic Fan Fiction Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Cook, and you've found the internet's number one most trusted source for Muppet boners and horny loners. Hey, got some upcoming shows. February 28th, we're going to be at the Voodoo Comedy Playhouse in Denver. March 15th, at the Virgil in Los Angeles. That's free. And March 21st, Championship Edition at Union Hall in Brooklyn. But today's show is recorded uh, back the last time I was in Denver, August 21st, 2014, at Three Kings as part of the High Plains Comedy Festival. So this is round one featuring Ben Roy, Mike O'Connell, Christy Bukley, and Matt Knutson reading pieces they wrote in advance based upon topics of their choosing. Enjoy. First round one competitor who has brought a prepared piece this evening, Christy Bugley, ladies and gentlemen. Hi. I would just like to say this is my dad's favorite show, so that I, I hope he's really proud of me after this. <laughs> MacGyver was going to need a bigger knife if he was going to complete this mission. He'd been deep undercover within the Chinese government for about six months with no progress, and he was beginning to get restless. He decided to infiltrate the Chinese president's inner circle by entering through the back door disguised in an as an imperial concubine. Sure, he wore a dress, but he didn't really look like an Asian beauty. Luckily, just like every episode of MacGyver, no one seemed to notice the dude with the blonde mullet just walking around. <laughs> MacGyver faced several challenges in obtaining the long, uh, his goal, wait, hold on, yep. He was there to obtain launch codes, you guys, for the nuclear missile program. MacGyver faced several challenges in obtaining the launch codes. The president tended to be more of a watcher, so getting close to the man was very rare. Second, the president liked that rough stuff, and the community safe word just happened to be launch codes. So getting reliable intel on the actual launch codes proved to be difficult. Uh, luckily, the president was into very specific S&M toy play, and MacGyver was able to gain quick favor by creating fuck machines out of everyday objects. <laughs> His first invention to gain attention from the president and concubines was a sex swing made from the rope weaved from his pubic and mullet hair. <laughs> Business in the front, party in the sack, he liked to say. <laughs> yeah. Some of the most coveted toys he introduced were hand restraints carved from the hip bones of dog car carcasses left over from the evening meal. <laughs> the women also liked to pleasure each other while pres the president watched using something MacGyver coined the rabid. Not to be confused with the popular American rabbit, the rabid was powered by the quick vibrations of a rabid Chinese fruit bat. <laughs> Very popular with the ladies. The rabid caused women to squirt their soy sauce everywhere. <laughs> As much as everyone liked those 
sex contraptions MacGyver's crown jewel was a wearable sex saddle made from a welcome mat, several months of bread rations, and some C4. Uh, <laughs> it exploded a little, but that only added to the president's delight. MacGyver even rigged small explos- explosives to go off as the, the president cl- climaxed in order to increase his experience. Soon, MacGyver was asked to participate in orgies with the other women. Being that he, too, was supposed to be a woman, he furthered his fairly convincing disguise, complete with functional female genitalia, cobbled together from a paperclip, cashew shells, and small explosives. (laughs) This passed for quite some time until MacGyver was able to fashion an even more realistic lady flower from the dead corpse of a duck. He preferred this disguise because as time went on and the duck began to rot, his lady bits only became more realistic. (laughs) Yes, MacGyver had paid his dues, but today, today would be different. He would finally get close to the president and get what he came for and maybe a little bit more. That morning, one of the concubine's children came to him with a message from the president letting him know he and the president would have a private session that evening and uh, to thank him for all the hard work and ingenuity he brought to the country. That made MacGyver very happy, and he hugged the child a little too long, as he does in every episode. (laughs) And then he prepared himself for his evening with the president. MacGyver was surprised by his own anticipation. Sure, he was there for the launch codes, but he had been with women for the last six months, and you can only munch on cold chow mein so much before you start to crave something more. (laughs) He had to admit to himself that the idea of the president's Kung Pao beef turned his fake genitalia into a bit of a peeking duck. That night, as MacGyver entered the president's room, he could hardly contain his excitement. Hello, woman. (laughs) 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 Oh, good, MacGyver thought to himself. He, too, speaks English with a terrible racist accent. (laughs) Just like everyone in every episode. (laughs) This should make my mission so much easier. What is your name, the president asked. Uh, my name is, um, MacGyver stammered nervously. No one had ever asked him his name before. My name is, uh, um, Mulan Guyver. Nailed it, he quickly thought to himself. (laughs) Mulan Guyver. (laughs) That is a very beautiful name. (laughs) Come closer, Muron Giver. <laughs> I have been very impressed with your sex machines, Muron Giver, but tonight I want you to pressure me with your own hands. Would you do me the honor of tossing my salad? MacGyver couldn't contain himself. Not only was he thrilled to finally get close enough to the president for him to divulge his launch codes, but now he was going to get a taste of his mooshu pork. What luck! (laughs) 
MacGyver fell to his knees, tucked his head under the president's robe, and began servicing the man. The president began to moan, and MacGyver, too, found himself getting carried away in the moment. He continued to toss his salad while simultaneously reaching around the front to stroke the man's Mongolian beef. As the president came close to climax, he decided to derobe, and it was then that MacGyver found what he was looking for. There, right there in front of him, tattooed on the small of the president's back were the nuclear launch codes. 69, 69, 69, 69. Why had he thought of that before? <laughs> At this point, the president was close to eruption and MacGyver found himself a bit sad that this experience would be over soon. He was glad that he had rigged small explosions for the apex of the president's orgasm. MacGyver, too, found himself reaching orgasm from pure excitement. Just then, he and the pr president could hold on no more, and he and the president spewed their sweet and sour sauce out of their sesame chicken fingers everywhere. <laughs> it went everywhere. God, uh, good writing, Bukes. Jesus. <laughs> it went everywhere, and MacGyver was proud of the pleasure he had cre created for the both of them. Unfortunately, the amount of sauce released by the president was not anticipated by MacGyver, and all the extra juice threw off the chemistry of the small planned explosions, creating one huge explosion. Still on his knees and shielded by the president's body, MacGyver felt the huge blast, but luckily survived. As the dust settled, MacGyver looked at the body of the president with sadness. His magnificent body looked like an order of overcooked Szechuan beef and he, could he would be forever touting his O-face. <laughs> MacGyver would never forget this night. He came for the launch clothes, codes. Oh, did he come for the launch codes? <laughs> but he would have stayed forever for the president's fried dumplings. Thank you. <laughs> Christy Bugley. Keep it going for your second competitor, Mr. Matt Knudsen. Cookie, how are you, buddy? Good, man. Is your family here tonight? Uh, God, I hope not. <laughs> uh, full disclosure, uh, I, uh, I've been on the road. I didn't really have access to my home computer. So I went to the Sir Speedy printer on 11th and Lincoln. Emailed this to Debbie. <laughs> and she printed it out for me. Um, if you want, after the show... Please come find me. Uh, I will show you the picture of Debbie <laughs> that I took. She looks like an 80-year-old librarian. So somewhere this is on her hard drive. <laughs> and away we go. Uh, this is called Storage Whores. <laughs> the first door rolls up at 7 a.m. sharp. Rules are rules. All the regulars were there. Don Huntington, Big Pam, Walter Lee, Claudette, and Arian Mike. <laughs> These regulars were no strangers to the storage unit auctions, and as a result, they were no strangers to each other. Upon its opening, the door released a plume of dust and a dank odor. Ah, oh, man, cried Don Huffington while using his thumb to point. Is it just me, or did Big Pam just queef? <laughs> All but one of the regulars laughed out loud. 
Well, very funny, Dong Huntington. <laughs> Big Pam checked the group to see how her penis joke had landed. <laughs> Upon hearing its reception, she briefly considered repeating the word Dong <laughs> in case there was any confusion. She checked her phone. By all accounts, Don Huntington was not a successful man. He had three divorces in his rear view, a well-documented drinking problem, and was currently living among carnies. <laughs> Nevertheless, everyone in the storage game knew about Diamond Don. Back in 2003, Don had won an auction for $35 at the Indio Lock-In Store. In it was a collection of antique marital aids that were valued at $5,200 on the Antiques Roadshow. <laughs> Although the segment never aired. <laughs> Since that day, whenever Don showed up at a storage unit auction, it was just assumed by the regulars he was acting on inside information. Sure, Don had his share of disappointments too, but he never missed a chance to remind you that he's fucking killing it on eBay, bro. <laughs> killing it. As the door flew open, the regulars struggled to adjust their sight to the now contrasting light. Walter Lee quickly spotted a gently used sex doll, several nude photos of Vic Tabak, and a Bible. He was excited but cautious. Walter, too, had felt the bitter steam of storage, and although he initially liked what he saw, he didn't want to rush into a deal that he would later turn out to be, quote, chitty. It's a chitty deal, man. <laughs> chitty. Walter Lee knew better than anyone that one day you're on top of the world and the next day you're back in the semen mines of Vietnam. <laughs> Aryan Mike looked on. Aryan Mike was not an Aryan. Everyone just called him Aryan Mike because he had a flat top. Aryan Mike was unaware that everyone called him Aryan Mike. <laughs> Mike's secret was that he never looked inside the storage unit as it was being opened. Rookie move. Plenty of time for that later. Instead, he always studied people's faces, looking for their tell. This time, when the big door rolled open, Aryan Mike noticed that Big Pam immediately queefed. Her tell. <laughs> In fact, Mike was the only member of the group that was aware that Don Huntington had asked his question legitimately. <laughs> Arian Mike could also read on Walter Lee's face that he was contemplating a move on the unit, either that or possibly having a semen mind flashback. <laughs> Claudette was a wild card. Newer member to the group, she had recently moved to the area under rather mysterious circumstances. Uh, the regulars never discussed her origin story amongst themselves, but they were more than happy to share their theories with the camera, even though there were no cameras present. <laughs> Don Huntington had her pegged as an ex-stripper. Big Pam, a sexy jailbird on the run. Walter Lee had a recurring fantasy of Claudette putting her finger in his butt. <laughs> Arian Mike was still unaware of his nickname. 
Everyone stood in silence for a moment as her eyes surveyed the locker. Sex swings, ball gangs, film canisters, those super weird masks that have a zipper over the mouth. A loom. Everyone realized that they had stumbled onto a porno gold mine, a booty of booty. <laughs> well, this is fucking garbage, am I right? Said Don Huntington, trying to hide his erection. The mind games were afoot. Arian Mike was quick to agree with Don Huntington. He said, I agree with Don Huntington. Walter Lee thought he noticed some movement in Mike's pants as well, but he was unaware that he was just keeping a baby opossum in his underwear to win a bet. <laughs> it didn't take long for the action to heat up. Big Pam, well, I mean, there's no more than, no, I'm not going to put more than $50 towards this pile of 75, Walter Lee chipped in. 100, 200, various characters continued to raise the stakes. After the bidding had topped a thousand, Claudette had enough. She ran into the storage unit and grabbed a cat of nine tails. Listen, crackers! Claudette was white. <laughs> we can go back and forth all day, or y'all can just back the fuck up. With that, Claudette reared back and whipped Big Pam. Upon being whipped, Big Pam had an orgasm so intense that her engorged labia knocked Walter Lee to the ground. <laughs> As Walter Lee stumbled, he fell backwards and was penetrated by a cast-iron dildo. The combination of seeing Claudette and having something in his butt was close enough for Walter Lee, and he came. Exploding like hot lava, the high-speed ejaculate went directly into Don Huntington's eyes and rendered him blind. It was like a pornographic version of the game Mousetrap. As Don attempted to get the hot load out of his eyes, he could no longer conceal his raging boner, and it tented out his Tommy Bahama shorts. As Don blindly flailed, his dick struck the reposed crotch of Aryan Mike, stirring the baby possum, which violently bit and punctured his ball sack. When Claudette saw the blood flowing out of Mike's maimed testicles, her nipples got rock hard because she's a fucking freak. <laughs> For years, the regulars had seen each other as flat two-dimensional characters at the storage auctions, but now, basked in the glow of blood, jizz, anal penetration, and anal penetration, both of those things, <laughs> it was as if they were seeing each other for the first time. With that, Don Huntington, Big Pam, Walter Lee, Claudette, and Arian Mike surrendered to their primal urges. And right there on the blacktop of the extra space storage, an orgy ensued that was both sexually graphic and hilariously specific. <laughs> Even the auctioneer got a tepid hand job. Exhausted and spent, the regulars agreed to split the profits from Unit 517 and then fuck some more. While they're in the middle of a human centipede, <laughs> Don Huntington's pager beeped loudly. He checked the number. I gotta bounce, he said. It was obvious Don had just received another hot tip. He fumbled with the keys to his topaz and instructed everyone to take it sleazy. 
One by one, everyone found a reason to excuse themselves as they weren't going to let Don out of their sight. As they scrambled to their respective cars, Claudette announced to the group, I have full-blown AIDS. (laughs) I was going to say something earlier, but I spaced. (laughs) Walter Lee never masturbated to Claudette again. Thank you very much, everyone. Matt Knudsen. Thanks, man. Keep it going for Mr. Mike O'Connell. So I was writing a, a combo piece about Mannequin 2 and The Godfather. And my son, Darnell, my Cabbage Patch Kid, he's 31. He, he said, why don't you ever let me do competitive erotic fan fiction? I fuck like a demon from hell. And I was like, well... We're doing it in Denver next week, so why don't you write a piece and I'll play a guitar song next to it. And I asked him what song he wanted, and he said, Moonlight Sonata. So I have to play this for some reason, but uh, let's get the mic down to his level. Yeah, so. Best Orgy Ever by me, Darnell O'Connell. It was noon on a Tuesday, and I had already made my way through half a handle of Old Crow when I got a call from Raggedy Ann. Where the fuck are you, you drunk son of a bitch, she howled. Where do you think I am? I'm half in the bag, sitting in a motel room, watching old prices rights from before they hired that cocksucking comedian, I told her. What the fuck do you want? Raggedy Andy planned an orgy for this afternoon, she said, but he's doing so many pills these days, he passed out, and now we have three girls and only two boys. And you know how Barbie gets all nervous in an unbalanced orgy. I did know. I couldn't tell you how many an unbalanced orgy Barbie had ruined. Though I worried that I would not be able to sufficiently perform from the onslaught of bourbon I had endured that morning, I pounded my glass of Old Crow, packed up my tool belt of dildos, and asked my dad for a ride over to Raggedy Ann and Andy's. Upon arriving, I realized that the orgy might never get off the ground as Andy was passed out, Ann was panicked, Barbie was obviously grumpy, Bingo Bear and my buddy were off in the corner talking playoff basketball, and Kaya, a Native American-American girl doll, was quietly fingering her dream catcher as she watched Bar Rescue. Ah, shit, I thought. We gotta turn this orgy boat around and quick. I saw the problem. No one was drunk except for me. I quickly poured five shots of Goldschlager and ripped off my onesie to find my cabbage patch cock as hard as the SATs and the GMATs combined. Here's the deal, dolls. Raggedy Ann called me in to save this orgy, and I'm not leaving here until each one of you has come harder, faster, and with more resolve than you ever have before. So drink some orgy juice and get in line, because we're going to get started with all of you draining my doll dick with your mouths. If you're still grumpy after that, I just can't help you. They all focused on my throbbing sex as their mouths began to water. 
I'm pretty well hung for a preemie, and this obviously appealed to both the boy and girl dolls. Each took turns waxing my shadow and did a valiant job except for Bingo Bear. I found his animatronic mouth gave an especially toothy and awkward blowjob. But not everyone can suck a mean dick and for this I forgave him. I came like Vesuvius and the others having witnessed my orgasm all now desperately wanted their own. More shots were poured as our plastic fingers wandered and prodded each other as if this was our sole purpose on earth. Barbie came with a squeak and a squirt, and while her voice is pretty annoying, even this only enhanced our sexual hunger. Kaya was kind enough to teach us all the sex moves she had learned from the other American girl dolls. My buddy finally loosened up and stripped off his overalls and said authoritatively to Raggedy Ann, You think you're ragged now? Just wait until I'm done pounding that doll pussy. We were hitting our groove as the orgasms poured forth as violently as the moans from our plastic mouths. The group, having fucked and drank for over four hours, collapsed into each other's arms. Having been sexually sated, we watched ordinary people and drank mojitos until my dad came to pick me up. As he took me home on the bus, my dad turned to me and said, You smell like pussy and booze. I assume you had a good time at your play date? Not only did I have a good time, I said, but I saved the orgy, Dad. That's my boy, Darnell, he said with a tear in his eye. That's my fucking boy. The end. Mike O'Connell. It's going to be okay. It's all going to be okay. Mike O'Connell, one more time, ladies and gentlemen. Keep it going for your final round one competitor, Ben Roy. Hey, pal. That was awesome. Yeah, Mike's a funny dude. Dude, that was fucking amazing, dude. I didn't want that doll to stop. All right. I've wanted to do this story for a while, but I've been to a lot of shitty cities to do this show. And I didn't think any of them would get it, so I figured um, this place would be the best for it. So I'm doing Rancid, the band. Rancid's tour boot, a giant novelty tour bus manufactured to look like a massive 10-hole Doc Martin work boot, barrels down a lonely Northwest highway. Inside, Lars Fredrickson, Matt Freeman, and their new drummer no one will ever be able to remember the fucking name of. Feverishly work putting finishing touches on a new album no one will ever be able to remember the fucking name of. Johnny has a needle in his arm. He's a mod from Pensacola. Crack it, crack it, crack. The words and instruments struggle to find cohesion, eventually collapsing into a cacophony of bass thuds. The words sidewalk, beef loin, punk rocker, and several disjointed piccolo snare cracks. Frustrated, Lars slams his guitar to the floor and barks at his bandmates. No, 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 you're not getting it. The structure of our songs is lyrics about a drug addict in the esoteric, outdated social circle he associates with. 
Then Matt does his noodly self-masturbatory bass wankering. And then Bob, you, um, my name's Brandon, the drummer interrupts. Yeah, that's what I said, Lars replies quickly. You, Braden, fill it in with a drum line that everyone can easily tune out. God, this has been the formula for our last three albums. Why aren't you getting it? Both Matt and the drummer no one can ever recall the name of set their instruments down, make eye contact with each other, and look back at Lars. Okay, what's going on, Lars impatiently asks. Out with it. It's about the road pussy, Matt finally blurts. Bradley and I, Brandon, the drummer corrects. Yeah, that's what I said. We've been talking, and it's just that, well, it's been years since we've had a chance to tear into any sweet teen runaway gadge. <laughs> Yeah, the nearly anonymous drummer interjects. I joined this band because Rancid concerts attracted more 18-year-old crust minge than a Greyhound bus terminal. But you're so concerned with hiding our secret from the world lately, we can't let anyone on the tour boot. We're punk rockers, right, Matt Freeman adds? At least that's what we remind everyone in our songs over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. We're supposed to be doing punk shit. Lars' brow loosens as he slumps back in the leather seat. Guys, I know it's tough, but if the world ever found our secret out, we'd be sunk. No more jet-setting around the globe. No more money. No more ignoring much-needed orthodontist appointments. <laughs> Everything gone. I guess I don't care anymore, Matt replies. I'll give it all up. I just want to fuck again. I'm going to pick up the next runaway we see, and if you try to stop us, we're going to let Tim Armstrong out of the cage. <laughs> Popping forward in his seat, Lars begins pleading. No, 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 please don't let Tim out. Okay, well, we'll, we'll pick up the next hitchhiker we come across. Just, just promise to leave Tim in the box. A nervous Lars, proud of themselves, both Matt and what's-his-name, high-five and rush to the front window of the tour boot, anxious to see what hobo treats this asphalt carpet may present to them. A nervous Lars stands behind them, watching the horizon. How do you both know you'll even find a hitchhiker? We're in Oregon, Matt responds excitedly. <laughs> Portland just passed a law banning the use of any automobile within 100 yards of a major roadway. <laughs> Everyone hitchhikes now. Sure enough, within minutes on the horizon, a black line appears and begins to grow in size as the bus devours the remaining distance between itself and their new bogey. There's something, Matt feverishly yells as he excitedly jumps up and down in a circle. I don't care what it is. I'm going to hump it so hard it'll forgive its parents. <laughs> The tour boot begins to slow and comes to a squeaking halt at the foot of the tallest goth rocker they've ever set their eyes on. Clad in all black and dimensioned at six foot five and 113 pounds, her attire and arms held out to gather attention have allowed her to be mistaken for a partially burnt saguaro cactus. <laughs> Press against the window, the three man bandmates take in the scene before them. Jesus, that's not a um, woman, Lars exclaimed. That's a Salvador Dali painting. A fully invested Matt opens the door. The wayfish beanpole boards the bust, leaning forward as she crests the tour boot stairs so as to prevent her head from dragging across the ceiling. Thanks for picking me up, sweet boot, she calls in a drowned-out husk. No, thank you, the drummer excitedly replies. We really appreciate you coming aboard. My name is Pamela, but all my friends call me sepsis. Cool? Great. 
Hey, are you guys rancid? Why, yes. Yes, we are, Matt replies. Well, I'm a huge fan, she coos in baritone. I've always had a big crush on you. That's funny, the drummer says. Uh, we've had a crush on you for a while. We could see you on the horizon for the last four miles. <laughs> all right, I'll fuck you all, but where is Tim Armstrong? I won't fuck you all unless the whole band is here. Clearly agitated and weary of this not happening, Lars stands and bursts. No, 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 uh, Tim, he couldn't uh, be here, and, and he's not. And he, I mean, if he was, you couldn't see him. He's not here. No, no, no. Well, then I'm leaving. The goth girl begins the process of standing before the drummer stops her and says, No, 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 we'll get you, Tim Armstrong. Just don't leave. Matt stands and begins lifting the cushions to a large sofa running the leg of the tour boot. Lars tries to stop him, but he's shoved aside. We're doing this now, Lars! Matt growls. Lars, cowering, retreats to the corner. Beneath the couch reveals a small compartment. Matt reaches in gingerly, fiddles with something they can't see, and eventually produces a muzzle that he tosses across the room. He then slowly backs away. Here's Tim, sweetheart. Before he can finish the thought, there's a slight shaking and growling before a footy pajama-clad Tim Armstrong bursts from the compartment and tears at a full sprint across the tour boot. Tim screams as he barrels face first into the closed bathroom door. I'm out of the box now! Back on his feet nearly as fast as he fell. He runs headfirst into the windshield. I heard you all talking about Washington earlier. Are we going back to Olympia? <laughs> Bleeding from his forehead, he cartwheels into the kitchenette, slamming his head on the stove, yammering an East Bay doublespeak <laughs> while he tries to fit his whole mouth around a stove burner. <laughs> Everyone, wide-eyed and blinking, takes in the moment. Okay, uh, why is he doing that? Asks the goth girl. Well, you know, it's complicated, Lars stammers and laughs uncomfortably. Tim, uh, just tell her. Matt concedes. Tim's retarded, okay? Look, (laughs) we've just been exploiting his handicap to sell millions of records for years. For nearly two decades, people have ignored the fact that one of our singers sounds like an old dog with an intrusive cleft palate. I've been watching cartoons! Tim drones before climbing into the fridge and trapping himself inside. We understand if you have to leave, Matt says before slumping. Just don't tell anyone. Oh, I don't care he's retarded. I just thought he was on cocaine. We goth people don't like cocaine. It inhibits our ability to produce tears, the goth girl says with a straight face, the closest thing she can form to a smile. Let's fuck. Just then, the refrigerator door slams open, and Tim Armstrong, drunk on condiments, explodes forth. Here we go! He leaps up on the goth girl's shoulder, brandishes his, brandishes his one last salvageable tooth like a knife, and slides down her back, splitting her clothes from her body, revealing 78 inches of bone-tormented freckle plank. <laughs> Excited, Matt strips off his tattered bottomed pants and stiff little fingers tank top, to reveal his perfectly shaved visage, his eight-inch uterine bobber festooned with a homemade Jacob's ladder fashioned entirely from rusty bobby pins. 
The tomb of the unknown drummer excitedly casts away his chino shorts, black polo short, and knee-high socks, exposing acres of shoddy prison tattoos and 13 inches of uncut piss root hanging to the left, much like his union-supporting near-socialist political inclinations. Dropping on all fours, the giant goth girl forms a structure so angular and flat she resembles a table for the gods to feed. I got her mouth, Matt calls, pounding his swollen vein kebab into her waiting and eager Bauhaus canter. The sound of sucking and slurping has now caused Lardis to become aroused as he produces his concrete lump javelin in hopes of joining the gangbang. No, dickhead, you watch, the drummer yells from across the bus. Positioning himself beneath her behemoth hips, nestling his glistening sex rivet within her colossal bald blood koozie. That one even makes me uncomfortable. I didn't like that one either. It makes you feel better. Oh, that gives me goosebumps, she wails. It gives me goosebumps like the first time I heard Depeche Mode's Violator album. But I still have one more hole that needs filling. No one need tell Tim twice. Hanging from the bus's track lighting, he catches her drift, dropping from the ceiling straight onto her back. Destination rectum! Ruby, 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 fuck hole! He bellows before slamming his gnarly chowder cylinder into her unmarred shit divot. All three band members begin a rhythmically stuffing and pounding her willing fissures as if making more room in an overflowing children's party trash can. As the pace and urgency increases, her gaping moan maw barks and belches forth so much frothy fuck fizz that her battered hair breech begins to take on the look of a root beer float being stirred by a ripe spring gourd. I'm climaxing. I'm reaching the closest thing to Eximusti my social circle will allow me to experience. <laughs> Sensing her impending fallopian drench, all begin their thrust thump to the finish line. The drummer, first to go, ruptures violently, discharging fluid ounce upon fluid ounce of his briny prostate porridge across her outstretched pierced tongue. Still inside of the golf, golf girl's bald cram cleavage, Matt moan muscle convulses, stirs, and chucks forth his gold-tinted gack, coating her eggs Pamela in a heaping helping of his alkaline bollandaise sauce. Not quite finished, Tim stands and puts the lengthy goth girl in a Viking helmet, a sex movie created in which he penetrates her with the center spire of his liberty mohawk. Then he stands up, leaving her perched and anally intruded on top of his head. Then once settled above, he spins her like a propeller on a child's beanie cap. The sensation of being pierced, prostate, and dizzy atop a large, hard spike of hair causes the goth girl to churn out one last eruption, drenching Matt's head in a cascade of gelatinous gulch marmalade so large and well-intentioned that had it been filmed, the ALS Foundation would have accepted it in lieu of donation. Lars, who is still tugging away at his own pathetic milk dowel, is now barely able to convey himself, but upon reaching Apex is only able to produce a few meager drops in what he would later consider as his most unf unfulfilling and pitiful orgasm to date. Because 
Karma was in the room as well. Setting her back down on all fours, Tim admires his work, her battered fur furnace, and a rectum that now resembles a serious narwhal wound. <laughs> Excited, he squeezes his overripe olives till they reluctantly produce tendril after tendril of his overpriced and much too salty tapenade. Oh, God! Oh, God! Oh, God! Oh, whoa, 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 whoa! My voice! My voice, it's normal! Guys, my voice, it's normal. Oh, my God, everyone exclaims. He's back to normal. Wow, the goth girl chimes. I'm back to normal. It must have been the orgasm. It it made me normal, Tim announces. Now we don't have to hide it any longer, Lars announces. Now we can fuck all the time, Matt chimes in. Yeah, the drummer guy adds. Everyone applauds and goes another round on the sad, pre-cancer-marked teenager. (laughs) Hope... Hopeful for the future and free from the shackles of their lie, the tour boot rambles on while the band sets out making new albums, not realizing that they would never sell another record without Tim being retarded. (laughs) Because Americans only enjoy retarded music. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Ben Roy. Let's get all the round one comics back up. Round one comics, come on out. All right, so you guys are going to be voting on a winner in a second. First, I'm just going to remind you of what everybody read, and then you'll vote with your applause on your favorite. We started with... Huh? Who? There he is. Mike? He's coming. Uh, we started with Christy Bukley with MacGyver, then Matt Knutson with Storage Wars, Mike O'Connell with Darnell and his orgy, and uh, Ben Roy with Rancid. So pick a favorite with your applause, starting with Christy Bukley, MacGyver. Matt Knutson, Storage Wars. Mike O'Connell, Darnell's Orgy. And Ben Roy, Rancid. Your round one champion, Denver's own, Mr. Ben Roy. Let him hear it. That does it for round one. To hear round two, you can download episode 113 right now. And if you like what you heard, please subscribe and rate us on iTunes. For details and upcoming shows, you can follow me on Twitter at Brian Cooking or the show at CE Fanfic. Have you been enjoying this free podcast? Well, you can help competitive erotic fanfiction stay free by completing this short anonymous survey. It'll take no more than five minutes, and your answers will help match our show with advertisers that best fit the sensibilities of the podcast and the listeners like you. Listeners who complete the survey will be entered in an ongoing monthly raffle to win a $100 Amazon gift card. We promise not to share or sell your email address, and we won't send you email unless you win. Please go to podsurvey.com slash Brian. That's podsurvey.com slash B-R-Y-A-N to take our survey and get a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card. Thanks. Now leaving Nerdist.com.